the book of Ecclesiastes again then. We came down to chapter 8, uh, reviewing the futility of man on this earth at this time. And uh, I think, really, this is timely in many respects, and that we know that bearing down on us like a freight train is the end-time destruction of the nations and Satan's government taking over, uh, preceded by, first of all, the destruction of the United States, which is the first big event that is to occur in these end-time prophecies in terms of international geopolitics. So, if you are a human being living at this moment on the planet Earth, over the next few years, you have a 90-plus percent chance of dying ahead of time through famine, plague, slavery, and captivity, and all those things that are going to be wreaked upon the population of the earth by Satan the devil and his New World Order beast and false prophet of Daniel and Revelation. So it is coming very, very quickly upon us. And then following that, you will have the seven last plagues and God's wrath, which will kill a lot more people. So within ten years, I think I can safely say that, you're going to see the population of the earth reduced not just by 90 plus percent, but probably, I haven't done the math, but probably 99 percent. <clears throat> down to the point that Daniel seems to indicate that Christ will sit down to judge about 100 million people. Do the math to get a percentage if you want. Take six and a half billion or so people that estimated live upon the earth and uh, do your fractions of 100 million over six and a half billion and see what you come back to come up with. It isn't very many and it's a very high percentage of deaths. So, in some respects, what Solomon is saying here is in that way prophetic, in that the futility of man without something bigger and better on the horizon is great, and that anything we do on this earth isn't going to mean anything. We're all going to die, uh, as has been happening since Adam and Eve on down through the ages, but it is going to be foreshortened a great deal by end-time events. And lives are not going to be lived out as they have from generation to generation in the past. This one is going to be cut off very quickly and very mightily. So if you're living for anything in this life, on this planet that is not connected with the almighty living God, there's no hope. You will be dead, and that will be the end of that. Well, till the second resurrection, and with us, uh, maybe the third. So, we have to look beyond what we see around us, and look beyond this physical, in some form or fashion, in order to have any hope for the future. But he's looking at it from a purely physical standpoint, and looking at it from a purely physical standpoint today, uh, your chances of surviving are probably less than 1% the next 10 years. And I may be, be being a little generous with that, I don't know. 
If the uh, Jubilee year is 1926 or 27, we, we might have close to, to uh, 10 years left before this all comes down. We'll see. But the beginnings of it are coming down. This nation first. So if you're a human being in America, what he's saying here of the futility of human life will happen much, much quicker than it will to the rest of the world. Because Daniel even says that after our demise, this country, it will be divided into two into four parts, and that in the latter end of the years of the reign of those four horns who rule this country from that time on, uh, will come the little horn who will set up the abomination of desolation, uh, which time we flee, and then there's three and a half years in a place of safety while the tribulation rages across the earth, and 90% of the population is killed during that time. So, ours comes very quickly, and we will build a temple, and we will build Jerusalem at a time when this nation has already gone into captivity. That's why a wall of fire, as Zechariah 2 says, will have to be given by God for protection while we do what must be done. So all these scriptures are coming together. And there is a sense of futility to a great degree among people who understand what is about to happen out in the world. They're looking at bug out places and prepping for, and they don't really grasp how bad this is going to be and how it fulfills the Scriptures. But we do, and I think we need to pay attention to what Solomon is telling us and realize that we need to be looking beyond the around us, around just this physical life, and making plans for our children and our grandchildren and all those things that people prepare for. It ain't going to happen. It's almost over. The only place your kids and grandkids are going to find any relief, if they live through, will be in the millennium, or in the great white throne judgment if they're killed ahead of time. So, future plans for our future on this earth mean nothing beyond, let's just pick a number, ten years. You, you better not figure on any more than that, because it's not going to happen. I mean, the world is about to implode. Can we not see that? Uh, the stage is pretty much set for World War III and what it's going to bring. And the prophecies are very clear that Israel is going to be destroyed first, specifically uh, Ephraim, this nation, which has been the mother of harlots. Not the Catholic Church. It's Israel. Read Ezekiel 16 and Revelation 18. It doesn't even smack of the Catholic Church whatsoever. The Catholic Church hasn't made anybody rich. We have. And that's just one point. So, let's look at chapter 8. Who is as the wise man? With what he's been saying in the little introduction I just gave here. Who's the wise man? Who, who's paying attention, in other words? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. So, knowledge, true knowledge, 
can give us a certain understanding, a certain light in the eye, a certain demeanor that others do not have. We can have a confidence, can we not, that if we do what we're supposed to do and turn to God with our whole heart and pray that we be accounted worthy to escape these things, that there is a good chance that will happen. There are not many people who are doing so with understanding. You have that understanding. So you have a very good chance of having your face light up when our sins are forgiven as per Isaiah 44, like the clouds being removed and God begins to shine his face and bless his people again. And our righteousness is not our own, which is his filthy rags, but the righteousness of God, as the last verse of Isaiah 54 indicates. Our self-righteousness, which is our biggest problem today, is going away. And somehow God is going to cause us to have his type of righteousness. And that's to happen very, very soon. So I think that fits here very well. The, the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding we have can make our faces shine and smile with joy and happiness when these things come, and we can also be bold. He says, I counsel you to keep the king's commandment, and that, and that in regard of the oath of God. So whether it be the physical king that was ruling then, he himself, or whether it be God on his throne, uh, we need to be cognizant, he says, to keep the rules. And has there any, been any time in history like this time that we are now facing? No. We are facing the greatest trouble that has ever been known on the earth. The Roman legions did not do what is about to be done. Napoleon, Hitler, did, Stalin did not do what is about to be done. The tribulation has not even started to begin as yet. Too many events have to occur first, and we would see people in captivity and dying and famine and pestilence had that already occurred, and it has not. So this isn't the great tribulation. Things have been worse on this earth before than they are right now. If you were in Russia during Stalin's era, it was worse than it is today. If you were in the wrong person in Hitler's regime, it was worse than it is today. What is coming is going to be far worse than anything that occurred in the past. That's not here yet. So this is a good time to be paying attention to God's commandments for sure. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stay close to God. Don't, don't get out of God's sight. Uh, I think that's a, a metaphor in a way. He sees all and knows all. And even in Revelation it talks about how men will go find caves in the hills and in the rocks and hope that they fall on them to hide them from the trouble and from the face of God. Uh, they'll want to get out of the sight of God. Because at some point they're going to realize that all that's coming down ultimately is from God, even though he may be allowing Satan and men to perpetrate it upon us. So don't hurry out of God's sight or think you can. Uh, 
you're going to live your life where God can't see what you're doing? Not going to happen. But people think that. There's a scripture, I think it's in Isaiah, in fact, that talks about how uh, God isn't paying any attention. God doesn't know what we're doing. Uh, can't recall a chapter, but it's in there. So we can do as we please. And God's not a factor. Well, he's going to be real soon. So don't get out of his sight. Stay in sight of God, I think, is the positive side of that coin. Stand not in an evil thing. Get away from evil. Get close to God. He wrote this thousands of years ago, and it can't be any more pertinent than it is today as we read it. For he does whatsoever pleases him. You can't hide from God. You can't run from God. So you might as well stand front and center with God and stay as close to his eyesight as you can because he's going to do what pleases him. And you can't change that. You can't alter that. You can alter perhaps what pleases him by your conduct, your action, your attitudes, your mind, and walking in the Spirit. We might be able to please him. But he does what he desires and pleases to do. It's just that we, by our conduct, might alter what he decides to do. We've been wicked, become righteous. We've been righteous, don't become wicked, as Ezekiel puts it. Uh, Verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. Where God is... He has all the power in the universe. And where he sets up governments, there is power. If he sets up righteous government within his church, within his people, he gives power there. If he sets up the basest of men over the nations, which Daniel 4.4 says he does, then there is power there. And you have to be cognizant of that power and realize it can come down on you. You don't know whether you're on the red list, the blue list, or the green list, perhaps. So you don't know what the powers that be out there are doing, but there is power there. And they're going to have the power, through Satan, to destroy roughly 98-99% of the people that live on the earth. That's the reality of what's coming. So... God has given power to the evil, and he's going to give power to the good. He says, not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the eternal in Zechariah 4. That is how God's work is going to be accomplished, is through his power, his strength, his capacity, his direction, and his guidance. So he'll give power to his two witnesses, he says there in Revelation 11, and the Enemies, the rest of the world and Satan, can do nothing against them. Nothing. They will have greater power than the beast and the false prophet until the last three and a half days where they're going to be killed. So God gives power to the good, and he is handing power to Satan and the evil ones. So it all comes from God. Now which power do you want to be closest to? Which mark do you want? The seal of God in your forehead or the seal of the beast in your forehead or your hand? It's coming and it's coming soon.
So don't get the idea there's not power there. There is. Where the word of a king is, there is power, and who may say to him, what do you do? How do you bring a king into account? You can't. You don't. The kings of the past just simply lopped your head off if they didn't like your attitude. And that is happening today. They don't lop heads off necessarily so much as they suicide you in the back of the head or some such thing. They have their ways. And you can't bring them into account. Now we have rules in this country, by executive order, which say that they can take you wherever they find you if they want to and incarcerate you without a lawyer, without a judge, without a jury, and do with you as they so please. In other words, you are a slave of the United States government. You have not been put in iron shackles yet, but they are preparing that to occur. And there's nothing we can do, and we can say, what are you doing? And they don't have to answer us, do they? They're in power. We can't do anything about it except get close to God and be accounted worthy of his protection. That's the only hope we have. Bugging out to Montana ain't going to do it, or Costa Rica or anywhere else. Uh, you have to be in the place that God is going to be protected at his behest, because he stirred you to come there, not something you yourself desired to do. And he is the power that be, that is. Verse 5, Whoso keeps the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. A wise man will understand the time he is living in, and he will understand whatever judgment is being prepared. We are living in a time of great evil on the earth, and it will soon come down. And we recognize that we are in that time, and we realize that judgment is now being rendered on us by the governments of this world and by Satan who hates us. So, we need to be aware of time and Satan's judgment carried out by the beast and false prophet. We also need to be even more acutely aware of the time of judgment we are in before God. Today is our day of salvation. Our judgment is now being rendered. People who live into the millennium as human beings or come in the third resurrection will have their time of judgment then. But judgment is now upon the house of spiritual Israel, you and me. And God is debating and pondering and watching our attitudes and how much we serve Him and don't whether we are patient and long-suffering, a fruit of the Spirit, or whether we give up ahead of time and say, this is going on too long, I can't make it, I can't wait. Bill doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, yes, I do. I know exactly what I'm talking about. God has made it very clear. 
but the timing is his. And we cannot be those that were thrown on ground with no soil and no water and dry up and die on the vine just before these things happen. You can't allow that to happen to you. It is coming. Understand the time and the judgment. Don't all the prophets say that it will seem longer than you think you can stand? Don't they? How long, O Lord, Habakkuk said. And others express somewhat the same thought in different ways. Blessed is he who endures to the end, not until, oh my, this is too far away, or it's too hard, or it's too rough, or, uh, you know, I don't like the way things are being done, or whatever excuse we want to come up with, that we depart or give up, or give up our faith, our trust, our hope in God, and what he is able to accomplish the way he has chosen to do it, not the way you or I might have chosen to do it or have it happen. You can't do that to God and say, what are you doing, God? He knows what he is doing. You may not, I may not, but we have some mighty, mighty strong clues in the Bible what he is doing. And that's what we need to pay attention to. What does God say? And when it comes, it's coming very suddenly. So we need to be wise and understand the time and the judgment that is occurring. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. Before a judgment is rendered... There is time involved. Space to repent, it's put in the scripture. Opportunity to turn to God with your whole heart. Uh, you know, we can take different avenues with our attitudes. We can begin to become disheartened or discouraged or selfish in our desires and what we want. We can begin to say, well... God didn't put people in charge who ought to be in charge. I know somebody else that would be better, or I would be better, or however you might want to look at it. You can't question God. He does what he will do. He raised up Herbert Armstrong in the end time to do a work. Herbert Armstrong did that work. Did he have people who said he wasn't a righteous man? Yes. Did he have people who wrote books about him? Yes. Did he get accused of all kinds of sins that he either did or didn't do? Yes. Was he perfect? No. Did God use him to finish the calling? Yes. And he gave him 15 years after his heart attack to so do. And he still wasn't perfect. But God chose that man to use. He had many evangelists and others around him who wanted his job and thought they could do it better. He didn't make the change. God did what God wanted to do. But we need to be aware of that. We can't question him. 
He can do whatever he chooses to do, whenever he chooses to do it. And you and I cannot alter that. There's time and judgment involved. And instead of throwing rocks at each other, or at our leaders, or at other congregations and churches of God and their leaders, we need to be turning our hearts individually to God with all our hearts. And then he says in Jeremiah, we will find him. So agitating and frustrating yourself over various issues that you feel might not be right, you need to be getting you right. I need to be getting me right. And none of us is right yet. None of us. And therefore, our calling before God is always in jeopardy to one degree or another. And the choices we make are going to make a huge difference in God's final judgment when this time and space for repentance ends. And it's coming very close to ending. It's been over a quarter century since Herbert Armstrong died, and the church has gone through endless troubles, trials, and tribulations, confusion and frustration since. Some people on this earth who are members of the church of God, maybe some of these in Africa, maybe in Germany, maybe in Britain, maybe in the Philippines, whoever, wherever, there are some people, brethren, about 10% of what was the church that was called, many called, few chosen. About 10% of what was are truly seeking God at this very point in time. They are doing their level best to change their attitudes, to change their habits, to change their lives, to draw near God. I know that because God says that's how many are doing it and will accomplish it and then be stirred to come and build his temple in Jerusalem. That is soundly based in Scripture. Am I one of them? Are you one of them? Even though we've already been brought here, that doesn't guarantee anything if we don't follow through and do what we need to do and hold only ourselves accountable. You can't change you, maybe, or can you? You certainly can't change your neighbor, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister. You can't change me. You can only change you. That's your only option. And you know what? That's the only one you need. It's the only option you need. God has said He will deliver you if He finds you worthy. Ezekiel makes it very clear. The son will not be held responsible for the sins of his father, or the father for the sins of his son, but each will be held accountable for his own actions. So if you don't like things the way they are, change what you can change, and recognize what you can't change. And your option is limited to one there.
you. That's all you can change. And that's all you need to change, is you. Now, if you changing inspires and encourages and helps others to change, then God says that there is salvation in that. So it's a giving, not a, uh, an agenda to change somebody except yourself. And then if you changing inspires others, then that's on the good side of the ledger for you. Paul makes that very clear. Very clear. Anyway, <clears throat> so there's time and judgment, verse 6. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. It's hard to live through a period of time such as we've been going through, realizing there's a judgment coming, and it makes it onerous. It makes it difficult for us. It's like maybe boning up for tests at school. You know the test is coming. You know a grade will be given. But boy, you hate that period of time when you're having to bone up for the test and write term papers and prepare yourself for you, what you know is coming in the A, B, C, D, or F that you're going to get. So whether it's in something simple like that or whether it's the whole crucible of life we're talking about, Time and judgment causes misery, and great misery and frustration. And we have our frustrations trying to serve God with a nature that is apart from and contrary to God. Verse 7, For he knows not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? We don't know what all is going to be, although the Bible gives us lots of clues about what is coming for us to take heed to. And it doesn't tell us exactly when. And that bothers a lot of people. Well, this has gone on too long. It wears on me. I'll admit that. You know, I've been anticipating these things when I, since when I was seven or eight years of age, and living my life as if the end is anytime soon, for my entire life almost, and I'm old. There are very, very few people alive in God's church today who have been at this longer than I have. And that's the truth of the matter. Very few. And then I look at myself and I think, well, yeah, that may be, but that doesn't give me any brownie points. <laughs> I've been given more than most. Maybe I needed a head start. But I look at all these years that I've sought God's way and known God's way, and then I think, when am I going to make some progress? When can I feel like I've grown enough that I might be worth God saving? And to this date, my daily prayer is, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what my daily prayer is, the very biggest part of it, for that matter, as far as the personal side is concerned. Did I quote the other, there's a scripture I saw in Isaiah just the other day that I focused on, where it said uh, that we need to live justly, 
love mercy and uh, walk with God. Or live humbly before God is the way he put it. That one's been in my mind a lot lately. If we could just accomplish those three things. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. There's, there's a good three to work on today or tomorrow or next week or for a while. Who can tell him when it shall be? Well, Christ said, when you see these things happening, the leaves coming on the trees, you know that your redemption is near. And now as we look around, we see these things happening, all the prophecies we've talked about all these years coming to pass. A little different direction than we may have thought. There were blunders made in the past on prophecy. Just now as I look back, the whole idea of a ten-nation dictatorship arising in Europe that is going to be our destruction is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Doesn't fit Scripture at all. Most of those nations are Israelite nations. They are scheduled to be destroyed. God is going to bring destruction and captivity on all the tribes of Israel, not just Ephraim and Manasseh. But all those years we assumed it was our brothers, brother Israelites, who were going to destroy England and America. No way. It is the times of the Gentiles whipping up on Israel. Read Psalm 83. It doesn't talk about Israelites whipping up on Israelites, does it? It lists a lot of Gentile nations there. Anywhere in the prophecies you go, it says that. Those thoughts and that attitude were spawned by reading about the Roman Empire and reading about uh, Hitler and what he did to the Israelite countries there. We don't know our history too well in America. Great Britain declared war on Germany before Germany ever declared it on Britain and Israel. So, we had some things wrong, but the destruction of this country wasn't one of them. That's coming. The, the picture is getting clearer and clearer as the stage is being set for what is coming. And I think that indeed Russia is probably the king of the north along with those allies. But then on the other hand, where's Putin? Nobody seems to know. Uh, he'll show up dead or alive. One way or the other. So we won't get into that speculation. There's all kinds of speculation running rife on the internet and even in the mainstream now. Anyway, when will it be? We know it's getting close. We might even name names of people and organizations and countries now that will be involved in our demise. That wasn't clear 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Verse 8, there is no man that has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. That's speaking of the Spirit in man, life itself. We don't have power to keep ourselves alive. We die of all kinds of things, and we don't have a choice in that, whether it's heart attacks, diabetes, or cancer, or car accidents, or whatever it might be. Well, to some degree we do. We can't 
figure how we'll die necessarily. You're not necessarily going to die of a heart attack or diabetes because you have problems there. You could die of a car accident instead, even though you had those diseases. If you have those diseases, however, there are things you can do naturally that we won't go into here to help solve those problems. I have a son-in-law who's on life support right now. I'm going to go over to Colorado this week and try to be some support to my daughter and some of my family, but uh, he's had diabetes for years. He still eats sugar and stuff that causes diabetes by the truckload. And he had a massive stroke and then another stroke. And now he can only move his eyes. That's all he can move. So he has a hole in his throat to breathe and he has a hole in his stomach to eat. And uh, he can say yes or no by blinking his eyes once or twice. And that's his life. Because he did not take care of his body and the things that caused his diabetes in the first place he continues to do or has continued to do. They're not pumping Snickers into his stomach now, but they're pumping something in there to keep him alive until they take him off life support. Why do we see all these things happening in the world and not realize that the junk that they are putting out there for us to eat is killing us. And then we come up with reasons why it's okay to imbibe of those things when even the world tells us that they're killing us. And we ought to get the pop out of the schools of various things. But we don't listen. And it's tempting, isn't it? So some things we might prevent for a while and improve our health if we would do what we needed to do. I, in fact, I heard a rumor recently, and I don't even have any idea where it comes from, but that uh, since Isaiah says that, uh, that you didn't bring me any sweet cane for your sacrifices, that it's okay to eat sugar. Even Monsanto knows better than that. That's why they're feeding it to you, to poison you. But look that up in the Hebrew. It's very clear uh, there that it means the right shoulder, that which was God's part of the animal when it was sacrificed, and that was intended to be given to the Levites. And they weren't bringing God's tithe of the animals to him to give to the Levites. It had nothing to do with sugar cane. So, you know, we can find all kinds of things. I don't know how to get started or where, and I'm not going to look into it. I don't care. But we need to be careful about it. There is time in judgment, and we don't know when we will die, but there are some things we could do to help prevent it, you know. You could wear a seatbelt, and you don't have to drive 110 miles an hour. Uh, so you might solve part of the problem about when you'll die. You, you can be careful. And I've, I've done everything you've done. There are very places, few places that I don't have the t-shirt from, believe me. Been there, done that. So, I'm not trying to be self-righteous or judgmental here. All I'm saying is, how we die, uh, we don't know. Neither has he power in the day of death. When you're facing death, you don't have any power. 
As I rolled over and over in cars a couple of times, I didn't have any power on where it was going to land or whether I'd still be alive when it happened. But here I am. I think God was doing that because He had something He wanted me to do. Otherwise, I'd have probably been dead a long time ago because I've given myself every opportunity you can imagine. But you can't, you don't have power over that, and I don't. There is no discharge in that war. <laughs> you know, you, you can't get discharged from the day of reckoning or death. Neither shall wickedness deliver you, those that are given to it. So you can be the most evil, foul person and do everything to step on other people to try to live and survive, and the wicked don't have any control any more than the righteous do. And he had every t-shirt. Solomon had tried everything. So, you're not going to pull any wool over his eyes. All this have I seen, and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. So he had sat back and thought about and cogitated on every possible avenue that a life might take. There is a time wherein one man rules over another to his own hurt. Sometimes people are put in a position of authority, and they may have an office, but dealing with people can sometimes hurt or cause problems for the ones who are in charge. He'd seen that in his father David's life. He'd seen it in his own life. But... Being king didn't necessarily mean that, I mean, he could do anything he wanted, he could do anything to anybody he wanted. But that didn't mean that he didn't have troubles on his own, and he was hurt by the very kingdom that he ruled over. Because he had enemies, he had troubles, he had difficulties. He had, just as Paul put it, the weight of dealing with the churches, or the nations or the tribes of Israel. Paul had it with the churches. It is difficult. What did Paul go through? Just, just as being a pastor, he got stoned, he got beat, he got put in jail, he got shipwrecked, he got snake bit, just in trying to fulfill his duties. So being in that position was to his own hurt. You want to be a deacon or an elder? Go for it. Verse 10, And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. This, this, it ends. <clears throat> Maybe they had been in the holy place, but they left that place. James put it that, the, vow, the sow returns to her wallow, or the dog to his vomit. You can't bring them back again. So they have been in the place of the holy and departed. And don't give up your faith. Don't give up your trust in God. Because if you lose faith, you may not be able to get back where you need to be. Verse 11, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Uh, if they had carefully followed an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth in the Old Testament, they would have had far less problems than they did. 
But Israel, by and large, were too merciful, too kind, and too afraid, or whatever machinations of the mind and emotions they went through, they did not carry out God's judgment faithfully. They allowed the wicked to survive when the Bible said, stone them, and then it was set in the hearts of men to sin. We have the same problem today. We let people sit on in jail until all the lawyers get done bickering and take everybody's money that has any, and they'll finally then make a judgment after years, and then if they are supposed to die for that crime, they sit on death row while all the appeals go on for six, seven, eight, ten, twelve years, waiting to die. And people out in society realize that you're likely to get off scot-free. You might not get caught in the first place. And if you do get caught, there's probably a lawyer that can get you off. And if you do go to jail, you'll probably be out on probation before long. And while you're there, you'll eat well and have color TV and, you know, on and on and on it goes. So there's no deterrent. Now, if, after a quick and speedy trial, found guilty, you were hung or stoned in the sight of the town or the city... That would be a deterrent. A good one. Sounds harsh, sounds hard, but that's the way God said to do it. And then people would think, you know, if I do this, I stand a really, really good chance of being stoned to death. I just saw Carl get it yesterday. I don't think I'm going to do this. It would be a deterrent. Would you stone or hang a few innocent? Yeah, you would. It happens. People get in jail and stay there 15 years before, more recently, DNA proves they weren't on the scene. So you would kill a few innocents. Well, God can resurrect them. They can be in the second resurrection. They can have their opportunity of salvation then. Don't say that to be harsh and cruel and mean. That's just the way God said do it. This would be a, almost a crime-free nation today if we had simply followed the terms of the old covenant that was given to Israel. We haven't done it. Therefore, men's hearts are fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. Sometimes it does seem that people can be wicked and evil and nasty and mean, and they live to a ripe old age. Happens. True. Time and chance happens to them all. But he said, in my experience you're still better off to serve God. Even though you might live to a long age as an evil, foul person, you'd have been better off to fear God. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he fears not before God. The wicked come up against a judgment at some point, most of them, 
and they may be executed by a rival gang or a rival company or a rival government or whatever. And if they appeal to God, they're not going to get anywhere because God hears not sinners. And whatever happens to them, happens to them. Time and chance. Now we, as we'll see a little later, are not under time and chance. We under the care and the protection of God. And when we cry out to God, He hears. That doesn't mean we're sinless. He does not hear those who live a life of sin. He hears those who are seeking to serve Him with all their heart and still make mistakes. Those He has mercy and forgiveness for. That's why we're to love, love mercy. Love it. Because God, one of His greatest attributes is mercy. And that's what He wants us to have. Verse 14, There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, there, uh, that there be just men, unto whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Some people die having been living a basically pretty decent life, and yet they might die young. Time and chance happens to them too. So he says, just as a physical existence on this earth, it rains on the just and on the unjust. Time and chance happen to people, whether they are decent people or evil people. God is holding off His judgment. Since Adam and Eve, he has allowed free moral agency, he's allowed people to choose which way they will go. And he has also allowed them to be deceived so that they could be taken, snared, and deceived or abused. He's done it on purpose. That when they come up in the second resurrection and have their chance, they will not have blown it by having known the truth and then rejecting it and therefore having to be destroyed. So God's ultimate plan is merciful, but he allows us to do today pretty much what we want to, and he hasn't brought quick judgment upon Israel, has he? We're coming up on this year, if the first colony that may have survived, 2015 is 430 years after this nation was founded or a permanent colony may have survived there at Roanoke. They don't know that they all died. Is judgment about to begin on this nation after 430 years? That's exactly how long they were into the day, Mitzrayim, before they were taken out of there by Moses. Interesting parallel. Don't know that that's the case, but it's interesting to watch. But God allows mankind to do what mankind will do. And he has a plan to take care of that later on. Even Christ himself spoke in parables so that they could not understand. Didn't want them to understand. Everybody thought he spoke in parables to make it simple and everybody could understand what he was talking about. No, he said, I did this so they couldn't. But it's given to you whose minds are open to understand. 
Nobody else can. All right. Uh, again, let's see. The wicked it happens according to the work of the righteous. So the wicked can thrive and survive sometimes in this situation that we're in today before God changes it. I said this also is vanity. I mean, what good does it do to be good if you might have the wicked dumped on you? And what good does it do to be wicked if the fate of the righteous come on you? In other words, in this life, hey, it's all futile, you're going to die. You're all just going to die. That's all there is to it. Verse 15, Then I commended mirth, because a man has no better thing under the sun than to eat, to drink, and to be merry, for that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. So, Paul echoed the same thing. In fact, he was basically was quoting what Solomon said here, when he says, If we have life, or hope, in this life only, we are of all men most miserable. This man, Solomon, understood that if this, if this life is all there is, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, enjoy life the best way you can, and die, it's all over with. But Paul said, we don't have hope in this life only. We have another hope, a greater hope. And that's what keeps us going, and it's why we don't just eat, drink, and be merry, and do whatever pleases the flesh. Because there are bigger stakes here that we have an opportunity to have something far greater. Sixteen, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night sees sleep with his eyes. You can see the busyness, even in our society, where people are so busy, busy, busy is... Business people, soccer moms, uh, it goes on and on and on what people get rolled up in in their lives so they don't even have time to sleep. So busy, we don't have time to live and enjoy things, and yet, what is it accomplishing? There was a song that came out many years ago. Was, I'm in a hurry to get things done and I don't know why was the gist of it. I don't remember the, the words exactly, but it's like I'm on this giant treadmill. I go, 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 and I don't know where I'm headed, really. And that's kind of what this is talking about. Busy, busy, and our, we get so busy and then so worried that we can't sleep. Verse 17, Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. You can look at life from this way and that way and another way, and you're not going to figure out anything that works apart from God. This physical life, you do what you do, and then you die. And there better be something beyond this. Things that we need to consider right now, because judgment is now on us. And are we living for this life, or do we have something bigger in mind that we need to pursue with all vigor?
yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. The smartest, most intellectual scholars on earth, the greatest philosophers, can't figure out anything better than to live, eat, and die. That's it. Doesn't matter how smart you are. That's what happens. And what's happened to the greatest philosophers and the greatest uh, psychiatrists and the greatest politicians and the greatest people that are in our history books? They all died and went dust to dust. And their philosophies, for the most part, died with them, unless they wrote them down. And now there are other idiots reading the same stuff that are going to be dust to dust pretty soon, too. This is the only thing you can really trust in the God who wrote it. So, consider. We're getting down near the end of this book, and he'll sum it up in such a way. Well, that's all the time I have, so I meant to get further and didn't. We're down to chapter 9.